Good morning. Welcome back to Running Waters Podcast. The date is December 1st, 2021. And today we're going to begin the reading of Hearts of Fire by the Voice of the Martyrs. I know in the trailer that I said I was going to begin reading this on the 31st of November, but it turns out there is no 31st of December in 2021. So today will be that day. We're going to begin with the story of Adele. And I believe this would be a blessing to you as it was to me when I read it. Amid the horror, there is hope. Indonesia, 5 p.m., Monday, January 10th, 2000. Under the shadow of swaying palm trees, Adele gathered the children together, about 50 of them. Her voice rose as she began to sing Onward, Christian Soldiers. She could see the fear in the children's eyes as they joined in the song. I don't want to die, one of the children called out. He was not yet 10 years old. We're not going to die. Come, clap your hands with us. Adele leaned toward him, speaking directly into his ear to be heard above the children's voices. The scared boy reluctantly joined in. They sang another song, again clapping their trembling hands together. Adele was attempting to drown out the shouting, the screams, and the terror drifting up from the hillsides less than a mile below. She knew she had to keep the children from crying, especially the older ones. If one of them started wailing, there would be a mass hysteria. Adele admired their bravery. Even the other parents who were clustered in small groups around the children seemed to gain strength from their spirited youngsters. As the singing continued, Adele gazed over the assembled youth and spotted her own two children. Christina was already nine and Cristiano seven. Adele could be brave, she reassured herself. She could be brave for her children, all the children. Her trust was firmly rooted in Christ. She worried about them, though, especially Christiania, her little Anto. He was so young and small for his age. Adele silently prayed for God's protection and again was thankful she grabbed her Bible before fleeing her home. She opened it now, carefully turning the worn pages to a familiar passage and read aloud, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Philippians 4.13 then Adele flipped to the back of her Bible where numerous songs were printed, and she led the children in another chorus. While they were singing, some of the children began complaining that they were hungry and thirsty. They had been on the hill since noon, and now the setting sun cast a vivid, tawny glow over the sky. Sunsets could be so spectacular here on their small Indonesian island of Dodi, but today the twilight was an ominous prelude to the darkness about to fall in their village. Suddenly the shouts of her husband, Matthew, pierced through the children singing, Run, Adele, run! Adele rushed to the edge of the hill and struggled to see in the wanting light. She could barely make out the silhouettes of men scrambling up the steep trail. Again, Matthew's voice rang out, Take the children, Adele! Hurry! You must run into the jungle! Instead, Adele froze, paralyzed by the crackling sounds of fire now drifting up the hillside as the smoke ascended into the darkening sky. They have set the entire village ablaze. Every house would be consumed, she knew, including her own. She agonized over the choices she must make. Should she help Matthew as as he made his way up the rocky embankment? Or should she run to her children? It was all happening too fast. In the same way a person's life can pass through her memory in an instant, Adele's past and future was now colliding in her mind. Two wonderful children, a loving husband, Life had been good. She turned toward the children, then glanced one last time at Matthew, 
and in that instant she remembered an uninvited, audacious 17-year-old who had stubbornly seated himself on her mother's couch. Next chapter, Only God Can Separate You Now. July 1989 Mom, he looks like a monkey, Adele hissed, peeking out from the kitchen door toward the young man waiting in the living room. Her mother was not impressed. Adele might be too young to get married, but she could still show a little respect and appreciation for the young man's relentless determination. He arrived at their house at approximately the same time each day. Adele didn't know if she was more flattered or annoyed as each day Matthew confidently settled himself on the couch and repeated the same request. Actually, Adele had answered him numerous times, but Matthew was either refusing to accept her answer or just pretending not to hear her. I don't want to get married. I'm too young. And even if I did want to get married, I don't want to marry you, Adele persisted. She was 17 too, and her beauty had recently blossomed, but she had no interest in starting a relationship, although she certainly had plenty of opportunities. Matthew offered no argument, nor took offense at her impetuous remarks. He sat there and patiently explained again to Adele that she was to be his wife. It is God's plan, even if you think I look like a monkey. Adele chuckled as she caught the hint of her mother's smile. Undeterred, Matthew once more made his request. So will you marry me? She knew there was no logic in answering, so Adele just sat there, wondering when he would go away. Finally, Matthew got up to leave, but before departing, he removed his outer shirt, folded it neatly, and placed it on her lap. There, he said, you'll answer me, so my shirt will wait in my absence. Adele couldn't help but be flattered by his youthful yet sincere gesture. Maybe he wasn't so bad after all. Three months later, Adele and Matthew were married. It was a traditional wedding according to local customs. It started early on a bright October afternoon and went long into the night. Two complete meals were served to the entire village that came out to witness the joyous event. It all seemed to go by in a flash as Adele fought off intermittent waves of anxiety, worrying again that she was too young and marriage was a terrible mistake. She was the first among seven siblings to marry. How could she possibly comprehend her new obligations as a wife? Only the words of the pastor at the ceremony brought the new bride comfort. Adele, he had told her, only God can separate you and Matthew now. Adele became pregnant a month after the wedding, and although she carried the baby full term, the children, the child was stillborn after a long and intensive labor. Adele and Matthew were devastated. But five months later, Adele was pregnant again. This time, the baby was born three months early and wasn't expected to live. Friends who came to visit comforted Adele and encouraged her to be strong when the baby dies. My baby's not going to die, Adele answered obstinately. Her heart was entirely convinced and she refused to be swayed by the opinion of her family or neighbors. She would not lose another child. Adele gently laid her newborn daughter on a pillow and softly spoke to the tiny girl, praying to God at the same time. Why are you here, Christina? She whispered. You didn't reach your full time in my womb, but here you are. Even though you are so small, Matthew and I love you so much, and I know God is going to protect you. To the amazement of her family and the villagers, Christina developed into a healthy toddler and was joined two and a half years by her brother, Cristiano. Adele and Matthew couldn't have been happier. Soon after Christiana was born, they moved into their own home. It was a simple three-room house made mostly of bamboo, and it had a dirt floor. It was humble, but it was theirs. Perhaps when the children were older, they could afford a better, larger home. 
that would be something to look forward to. For now, though, they were just happy to be out from under the roof of Matthew's parents. Nearly all the families of Adele's village were Christian, and she enthusiastically assisted with the church's youth programs. There were more than 50 children close in age to Christina and Cristiano, and Adele loved to read the same exciting Bible stories her grandfather had once read to her. It seemed fitting that she was now doing the same work as her grandfather, preaching the gospel, even if it was to neighborhood children. Next chapter, The Impending Jihad Life passed with little trouble for Adele and those in her village until the neighboring Muslims paid their first official visit. Although she wouldn't realize it at the time, the nightmare actually started at 3 p.m. on September 9, 1999, a day that, looking back, Adele will never forget. At the sound of a nearby commotion, she hurried outside and immediately caught sight of the banner. On it, only two words were printed in a large block of letters, Sinti Demai, meaning love, peace. Clustered around the banner were 30 men, women, and children from a Muslim village named Dala. People of Dodi, a dark-skinned, middle-aged man, proclaimed, We are your neighbors, and we should commit to each other to live in peace. There was no sound system, but his booming voice flowed easily through the crowd. He stood tall and lean on the old wooden platform of the meeting house. There should be no misunderstanding or fighting between the Muslim and Christian villages, he said. They should all live in peace. Adele and the others who had crowded around the platform thought this was peculiar considering there hadn't been any previous confrontations, but they extended a hand of friendship to their visitors who stayed the remainder of the afternoon. Later that evening, after Matthew had returned from his from work in the local mines, Adele related the events. But what about the rumor, Matthew questioned. A strange piece of gossip had been circulating at the ninth day of the ninth month of 1999 would be a dark day for Christians on the island of Dodi. However, Matthew and Adele had dismissed the rumor as just that. Now they considered the Muslims' visit and agreed there seemed to be no apparent threat. Actually, it had been a jovial atmosphere as their children played together. Nearly four months passed without an incident or cause for suspicion, and the Doty residents assumed the rumor was unfounded until just after Christmas. When Yulpius, a young merchant, returned to the village after a failed attempt to leave the island, seeing him again so soon as he had left, the villagers asked him why he had returned so quickly. They wouldn't let me leave, Yulpius announced. Who? Why not, one man asked as others pressed forward with increasing anxiety. Yopias continued, a number of Muslim men stopped me, and I don't know why. At first they told me not to travel right now, that it would be too dangerous. I protested, and I told them I needed to leave the island to get more supplies, but they didn't seem to care. They got really aggravated and seemed offended that I was a Christian. I recognized some of the men as ones who were part of the group that visited us to proclaim the so-called peace. I didn't want any further trouble, so I turned around and came back home. Adele, Matthew, and many others started to mull over Yopius' story, rethinking the events of September 9th. But with no evidence of imminent danger, there was little they could do. Then on January 10th, their, words, their worst fears swept through the village like a rampant storm. Adele was resting with an alien Cristiano around noon when they were awakened by the sounds of commotion among the neighbors. Adele ran out her front door and gasped at the sight of large columns of smoke rising in the distance. A nearby village, a Christian village, was burning. Then came the rising shouts of panic. 
They must flee their homes. 3,000 armed Muslims were on their way, and there was a little hope of stopping the impending jihad, Arabic for holy war. Adele ran back inside, yelling for Christina and Anto, but no one answered. The pounding in Adele's heart grew louder as she frantically searched for her children, running back outside and screaming their names. Finally, someone told her they had been seen already making their way up the hill behind the village. Adele ran back inside once more to hurriedly grab a few things. As she headed again for the door, she spotted her Bible on the table. She grabbed it and fled. The next chapter, Mom, Are We Going to Die? 6 p.m. Monday, January 10, 2000. Matthew and the other village men had held off the Muslim attackers for nearly four hours, but there were simply too many of them, and they were all well-armed with machetes, torches, and firearms. Now the entire village was ablaze in the mob shouts from Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, God is great, God is great, filled the air. Matthew and the other men frantically fled up the slippery embankment, hoping the jihad warriors would be satisfied with the destruction of their village. Instead, a sadistic rage seemed to spread among them, and soon they were also scrambling up the hill, wildly firing their rifles in the directions of the assembled Christians. Matthew and Adele swiftly gathered their children and their own elderly mothers as everyone began fleeing in different directions, hoping to avoid the rampant gunfire. They threw themselves into the deep grass and proceeded to crawl as quickly as possible into the jungle. But the strenuous journey on their hands and knees proved more difficult as rain heavily began to fall, turning the bare ground into a continuous pool of mud. After crawling for almost two hours through the dense jungle, they came to an abandoned shed on the edge of a coconut plantation, constructed of wood with three sides and a roof. It had been used by farmers as a respite for the sweltering afternoon heat during harvest time. Hopefully tonight it would serve as a sanctuary for the weary children and the family. They were too exhausted to travel any further. Christina and Christiana fell asleep almost immediately as Adele laid them down on bamboo mat they found in the desert deserted building. Like the rest of the family, the children were soaking wet, covered with mud, while the deteriorating structure provided some shelter to the roofs full of gaping holes allowing steady strips of rain to fall on them. Adele couldn't hold it in any longer. Like the rain, the tears poured down her face as she, swept, as she wept aloud. When she had regained control, she and Matthew huddled together for a brief and somber time of prayer. Then they quietly sat with each other each of their mothers throughout the fearful night. As the dawn broke, Christina and her brother awoke, slowly coming to understand that the horrific nightmare they thought they had dreamed was in fact reality. For some time they sat silently staring at the adults. Their wide eyes begged for a few words of comfort, but a deathly silence, oversh silence overshadowed the frightened family and no one knew what to say. Finally, Christiana whimpered, Mommy, I'm hungry. Adele's eyes closed again as she tried to hold back the tears, but by the time she could bring her young son into her lap, she was weeping uncontrollably. Please don't cry like that, Adele, Matthew pleaded. I'll go look for food. He tried to reassure his wife, but he knew she had reached her limit. Adele's heart was being ripped apart as she hopelessly witnessed the suffering of her precious children. Matthew was going back to the destroyed village to look for food. Adele begged him not to go, but she knew they had to do something. They couldn't remain in the shed without food or water. Time seemed to pass in slow motion after Matthew left. A deep sense of fear continued to grip Adele until the 
Unable to fight the anxiety, she led her family back into the jungle. They eventually came upon others from their villages who were hiding among the edge of a cornfield. Adele led Christina and Otto and the mothers through the neat rows of corn and they began picking the dried ears. At least they could have something to eat. A few hours later, Matthew rejoined his family carrying 12 cans of Coca-Cola. It was all he could find, but as the children reached for the tabs to open the cans, gunshots rang out, echoing like a rolling thunder through the, throughout the field. No one knew which direction the shots were coming from, so they threw themselves to the ground, having no clear thought of where to run. Finally, Christina looked up at Adele and asked, Mom, are we going to die? Yes, we are, was the thought that ripped through Adele's mind, but she knew she had to be brave for her children. She pulled both of them together and told them everything would be okay, but Adele knew her words of comfort couldn't replace the dreadful reality of their situation. As the sounds of gunfire continued, she knew what she had to do. It would be the most difficult conversation she would ever have with her children, but Adele had no choice. She had to tell them. Christina and Otto, please look at me and listen very carefully. If we are caught by those of the Jihad, they will ask you if you want to become a Muslim. If you say no, they may kill you. Adele looked directly into the children's eyes. She knew there was only one right answer, but how could children so young be expected to be so brave? Both her children answered simply, We want to follow Jesus. Without a second thought, Adele opened the Bible she had brought with her and turned to the passages that had continually run through her mind since she had fled her home. Adele's grandfather had read it to her so many times as a child it was practically etched into her heart. Psalm 23. She instructed her two children to repeat after her and began reciting the words, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. She continued until both of them had committed the psalm to memory. They appeared so brave, but Adele wondered if they truly comprehended the gravity of the situation. Feeling the tears forming again in the corner of her eyes, she hastily wiped them away with the back of her hand and asked Christina, Aren't you afraid they may kill you if you say you are a Christian? Christina brought her face close to her mother's, looked straight into her eyes, and softly answered, Mom, please don't worry. I'm not afraid to die. After the gunshots ceased, those in the cornfields eventually scattered. Adele, Matthew, and their family made their way back into the dense jungle, where they traveled wearily for another two days. They walked well into the darkness of night and slept only a few hours before rising again at dawn. At one point, Matthew had met others from their village and learned from them that some Christians had already been killed. Worried for his loved ones, he just pushed them deeper into the jungle. Everyone was exhausted, and finally Matthew and Adele realized they could not push the children any farther. Although they had a small amount of fresh coconut milk, the hunger pains were growing worse, and Adele cried each time one of the children asked for food. They had also met up with Matthew's father and brother. They came to what Matthew believed would be a safe place to rest, and he gathered some dry palm leaves for the children to sit on. Hearing the rippling sounds of a stream below the ravine, he and his brother decided to venture down to see if they could find something to eat. At such a tender age, Anto didn't understand why they had, hadn't had any food in the last few days, and bluntly asked if he could have some rice and fish. 
Your father will be right back, and maybe he will have some fish then we can eat, Adele told him, attempting to offer some encouragement, but she knew it wasn't likely that Matthew would find food for them, and she pulled Anto closely, softly humming a chorus, and gently rocked him. Next chapter, The All-Powerful Blood of Jesus Less than ten minutes had passed when they heard Matthew scream. At first, Adele thought he was crazy to yell like that, knowing the jihad warriors could be close by. Then she realized Matthew has already been surrounded, and he was yelling for Adele and the rest of the family to flee. Again, she heard the words that had chilled her just a few days earlier. Run! Adele, run! Before Matthew could cry out again, Adele heard the rapid crackle of an automatic weapon. She immediately pushed herself up, but with Anto's arm still wrapped around her neck, she stumbled. She turned just in time to catch a glimpse of Christina running in the direction of Matthew's cries. Adele drew a breath to yell at her to stop, but it was too late. They were surrounded by men in long, white robes. Otto was lying on the ground, and there Adele had dropped him. When he tried to get up, one of the men swung his machete and caught him across the back with the broad side of the blade. Adele screamed at the top of her lungs and threw herself on her son to protect a small body from another blow. She could see her son's face turning white with fear as he slipped into shock, but her attempts to help Anto proved useless as one of the mother men grabbed her long black hair and easily lifted her into the air. A blood-stained machete was pressed against Adele's neck as the men forced her toward a pair of bamboo trees. She knew their intentions as they began tearing her clothes. She was still clutching her Bible, but it fell to the ground as easily as her clothes. Adele closed her eyes, silently praying for her family and begging God to save her from being raped. Adele then heard the screams of her mother, her mother-in-law, and her precious Anto, and she knew they were being massacred by the vicious thugs who had driven them from their home. It was too much to bear. On the edge of fainting, she fell to her knees as she knew, as she saw those who had attacked her family turn and come toward her. Blood dripped from the edges of their machetes. Anto's blood. Oh God! Adele cried. She didn't know how she could go on. One of the men took off his sweaty turban and tied it around Adele's head. Anna was written, Allah Akbar. With her last bit of strength, Adele shouted, The blood of Jesus is all-powerful. She is a Christian, a pig, a stinking pig. Let's just rape her and get it over with, a voice sneered. A large number of enraged Muslims now surrounded Adele, discussing what to do with her. They were speaking in their local dialect, not realizing Adele could understand everything they were saying. Attempting to conceal her tears, Adele quietly prayed in her heart, Lord, please help them realize what they are doing. It is so evil. Please make them understand. They cannot know what they are doing. It isn't humanly possible. As she continued to pray from the commotion in front of her, a hushed soft voice whispered, Adele, is that you? She looked up to discover a man that had captured they had captured from her village. His name was Hans. Hans had also been stripped naked and was bleeding severely. Her heart fell deeper in despair. She was certain he would not survive the day. She had asked him if he had seen Matthew or Christina. He shook his head no. One of the men bundled up Adele's clothing, shoved it into her arms. She was not allowed to put it on. She looked down at her Bible, which had been torn to shreds. The two captives were marched up a steep mountain trail with machetes prodding the most vulnerable parts of their beaten bodies. 
As the trail narrowed, Adele looked down over the ridge, realizing how high she was and how easily it might be to jump. She knew she would probably be killed if she jumped, but that was okay. Help me, Lord. Please help me. She continually pleaded, resting, resisting the temptation to jump. She finally came to the top of the mountain where well over a thousand jihad warriors were gathered. They were all different ages, some barely teenagers, but each was dressed exactly the same in long white robes with a tightly wound turban on his head. At gunpoint, one of the soldiers forced Adele and Hans to stand one by behind the other. The soldier was middle-aged with broad shoulders. He laid his rifle by his side and slowly removed a long machete from its sheath. Adele looked around, realizing she and Hans were the only two Christians in a sea of white robes. She closed her eyes, believing, even hoping, it would finally be over. Within seconds, she felt the warm flow of blood running down her face and body. The blood of Jesus is all-powerful, she screamed again and again. Hans was screaming too, and she could hear the angry voices of other men yelling and chanting in the distance. She dared not open her eyes. If she just kept them closed long enough, she thought, she could open them on the other side in heaven. But after waiting for what seemed like hours, she couldn't help but lift her eyelids. In front of her was the mutilated body of Hans. Next chapter, Seven Simple Words. Adele was covered with blood, but couldn't tell if it was hers or Hans. She was in severe pain from the repeated blows of the Muslim men, but there didn't seem to be any open wounds on her body. Her voice was getting weak now, but she managed to repeat the words, The blood of Jesus is all-powerful. Somehow, she knew God was protecting her. She should have died many times by now. Over five hours had passed since they had stripped her of her clothing and started beating her. She already knew Anto, her mother, Matthew's mother, and Hans were dead, and she suspected the others were too, but she was still alive, and there had to be a reason why. Amid the horrible assaults, Adele somehow felt an amazing glimmer of hope. The band of jihad warriors gathered their weapons and told Adele it was time to leave. She would be their guide, they said. They shoved her to the front of the forming line and she led them down a winding road on the opposite of the mountain. Adele had no thought of where they were going. She simply walked in a state of semi-consciousness and tried to shake the sounds of Hans' brutal execution and the sight of his mutilated body from her mind. Not satisfied with cutting him to pieces, the men had covered his body with leaves from surrounding coconut trees, poured gasoline over the pile and lit his corpse on fire. When they reached the bottom of the mountain, Adele was no longer needed as a guide. The men pushed her in the direction of Dama, their village, continually pulling her long hair, taunting her, and smacking her naked body with the sides of their machetes. At each attack, Adele continued to shout, The blood of Jesus is all-powerful! The blood of Jesus is all-powerful! Sometimes one of the men would run from behind and swing the flat of his machete blade wildly at the back of her head. She would fall to the ground like a rag doll and cup her hands in the palm of her head in the palm of her hands. It felt like a thousand needles had been driven into her skull, but when she pulled her hands back, she was astonished to discover she was not bleeding. Okay, we'll stop right there for this week. And on next Wednesday, we'll finish up the story of Adele. I pray that this is a blessing to you. I pray that it will encourage you 
wherever you may live here in America or in some other part of the world, I pray that you'll just let the blood of Jesus give you strength and power. That you let the blood of Jesus encourage you, no matter what your circumstances are, to be strong and to be faithful and obedient to our Savior, Jesus Christ. thankful that you have blessed me by listening to the Running Waters podcast. For more really good preaching, go to jameswnox.org. I promise you will be blessed. If you have any questions or uh, suggestions about things that you would like me to uh, preach on or talk about in the future, go to runningwaters41 at gmail.com and send me a message. And at my earliest availability, I'll be more than happy to get into questions and answers, get into sermons that you would like to hear, have discussions with my friends that uh, will be co-hosting with me on occasion, or whatever the case might be, in order to get the information that people want out, as long as you're willing to listen and hear the Word of God as God put it. I thank you again, and I look forward to seeing you on the next broadcast. Until then, good day, and God bless.